have decided that I'm going to just try to match the vibe that's happening tonight and preach from down here. Is that okay? Um, what if I, like, start walking the aisle? <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> Joy, there's a lot of privileges that come with turning 80, but <laughs> I don't know if uh, you get to uh, override the will of the people, okay? <laughs> She's in the splash zone. I hope not. Oh, my gosh. Is that, did you just say that, or is that a, th do I spit a lot when I preach? <laughs> we'll find out. All right, so um, let's just get straight into it, shall we, before it gets even weirder. We're looking tonight at 1 Kings chapter 22. Hey, and thank you for being here. I know Super Bowl Sunday, it's a big ask. You know, the first year that I, we started Vespers in September of 2012, and I remember that first Super Bowl that came around. One, the Niners were in it that year, and two, we were like, oh yeah, this is a really awkward time on Super Bowl Sunday. And so it's, it's always good, though, to be able to worship together with you and um, just celebrate the Lord, even on a day like this where so many people are engaged in other things. But I take that back. I always, I really don't want to make a contrast between if you're interested in the game or being at church, because truth is, I, I'm interested in the game. I'm when we get done, I'm going to go home and watch the second half. And so I hope you don't hear me saying like, oh, the people watching football. It's like, no, it's just that I'm glad you're here. And seriously, I need to get to the text. This is terrible. I just keep digging a hole for myself. So we are in 1 Kings carrying on with our study on the life and times of the prophet Elijah. But as we're going to see in this text that we read, it's something that's happened a lot the last few weeks. Elijah doesn't show up in this passage. In fact, we, we, we're going to meet one of his contemporaries, another prophet, a guy that probably never really even crossed paths with Elijah, and yet he was a faithful prophet of the Lord, and his name is Micaiah, and he is one of my all-time favorites. There was actually a fella um, that used to come to Vespers years and years and years ago. He was a Chico State student, and I ran into him at Trader Joe's one day, and he introduced himself to me. He's like, I've been coming to Vespers. This is when we were in our old building. And uh, I was like, cool, what's your name? And he says, Micaiah. And I was like, bro, that's like one of my all-time favorite stories of the Bible. He, and I think he told me that it, that's why his father named him that is because of what we're going to read tonight. So normally what I would do is have you stand for the reading of God's word, but we're going to change it up a little bit tonight. Maybe the reason why I felt like I wanted to preach down here, we're going um, to read through the passage progressively. And so instead of standing and reading it all at once and then preaching about it, I'm going to kind of read the story as we go and stop at certain points along the way to sort of pause, to think about what we're seeing and to apply it. So because of that, we're not going to stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. Rather, we're going to sort of just sort of carry on as we go. Um, however, I do want to do the thing that we always do, and that is pray before I open the word and begin to preach from it. So let's pray together now. Lord, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts as we consider this scripture would be pleasing in your sight. We ask it and pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's start with a little bit of a summary. 
because the first passage I want to read from here is a little bit deeper into, actually, let's not go there quite yet. Let's hold off, Nancy, because I want to summarize the first few verses. So as this chapter opens, we're once again in the presence of one of our favorites, King Ahab, the guy that's been sort of front and center in a lot of the narratives we've seen recently. And King Ahab, he's in this war council with a buddy of his, a guy named Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah at the same time that King Ahab was the king of Israel. And they're allied together because they have children that had married, so they're in this military alliance. And Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, he says, come up to battle with me. We're going to attack the city of Ramoth-Gilead, which you probably don't know much about that city. I didn't until I studied this week. It was a city that was right on this major trade route running to the sea. Very, very lucrative. And so Ahab says, we're going to take this city together. Now Jehoshaphat was a good ally, and he says, sure, let's do it. Let's go up to battle. But Jehoshaphat was also a very godly man and king. And so the first thing he says is before we go up to battle, we need to inquire of the Lord and ask if the Lord is actually in this endeavor. Will he give us victory? Does he want us to do this? Is it in his will? So he asked King Ahab, he says, is there a prophet of the Lord that we could consult? And that's where we're going to pick up now because King Ahab says, oh, I've got just the thing. So let's look up on the screen. I've got verses six through eight for us. God's word says this, it says, Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and he said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? Well, why do you think he said that? Obviously, Jehoshaphat, I said this this morning, I hope this doesn't seem sacrilegious, but his spidey senses are tingling. Something is off about what these prophets of the Lord have said. And I don't know what tips him off. It's the fact that they all, 400 of them, say the exact same thing. Or maybe it's because King Ahab seems so confident in the good report that they're going to give. I don't know, but something to Jehoshaphat seems off about this. And he starts to get the suspicion that maybe these prophets of the Lord are not so much prophets as much as they are yes men who are only there to tell King Ahab what he wants to hear. So he asks, is there not here another prophet of the Lord whom we may inquire? In verse 8, this is what Ahab says. He says, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. Tell me that's not awesome. Like, Ahab, we've talked so much about his foolishness, his wickedness, and even a couple weeks ago we talked about his childishness. Do you remember what happened when Naboth refused to sell the vineyard to him? He threw a temper tantrum. He went and laid in his bed. He refused to eat, and he looked at the wall like a toddler does. And in the same way, you've got this just very childish, just there's so much candor here, right? 
of, he, he says the quiet part out loud. You're not supposed to say that the reason you hate him is because he never says good things about you. But that's what Ahab said. I hate this guy. He never tells me what I want to hear. And in doing that, he ends up confirming what Jehoshaphat had suspected about those 400 prophets. That they were not there to give him the authentic word of the Lord. They were there to make him feel good about himself. And to confirm the decisions that he had already made. And the, and the one guy that was willing to speak the truth, regardless of whether it made the king feel good or whether it made the king feel bad, that one guy who was committed to the truth of what God had said, he had been run out of town. It's Micaiah, and I hate him. It, it, in thinking about this, it made me realize that, that what King Ahab is telling us is that he has a very, very specific understanding of what God's word is supposed to do. Here's what he thinks the function of God's word is. It's to make him feel good, and it's to confirm the opinions that he already has. 20 or so years ago, well, not quite 20, it was 2005, there was a book published called Soul Searching that really made a lot of waves in the Christian church. It was written by this sociologist from Notre Dame. His name's Christian Smith, and he was banking on like four decades of research about how American religion had gone through this major shift an understanding of what actually we're doing when we're part of a religion, when we worship, when we come to church. And what he said is that over the decades, religion for most Americans had become this, therapy. It was therapeutic. That religion, you know, for centuries had, had meant an encounter with God. And it still does. But what he said is that now people thought that the primary purpose of an encounter with God was to make you feel good about yourself. To, to boost your confidence, to build your self-esteem. Now, I set it up in paradise this morning. It's probably anachronistic. I'm not sure if this phrase was around then, but good vibes only when you come to church, right? That was the point of encountering God and hearing his voice. Now, I, I want to be careful here because the truth is, Knowing Jesus Christ and being rooted in him, in Christ, is the most amazing pathway to joy and confidence and self-esteem that I know of. So that is true. There is a kernel of truth here that when you encounter God in the gospel, it has much to say about my self-worth and how he loves me. That's why the gospel has so much to offer, therapy and counseling. However, an encounter with God in his word is way more than just that. Sometimes you hear God's voice in his word, you read portions of what he said in the Bible, and it actually calls you to repentance. It convicts you of sin and brings you to your knees to be saved. Sometimes an encounter with God's word, it, 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 it's meant to challenge you and say, Take the wise path in this situation. Even though it would be way easier to take the foolish path, here's what wisdom says. Or sometimes God's word actually takes your eyes off yourself altogether and makes you look to God and 
his glory and his majesty and his amazingness. And you get to experience that, as Tim Keller used to say, the beauty of self-forgetfulness. Because your attention is purely onto God. So I, I bring all that up to say like, that there are manifold ways in which God's word addresses us, not just in making us feel good. And if we limit it just to that, if that's all we want, and we're getting rid of everything else that comes with it, then we become like Ahab and we say, well, I hate that part of God's word or I hate that teacher or I hate that passage because it doesn't speak good regarding me, but only evil. And so I'll run it out of my mouth. I think you have a reflection to make as you consider this word today. Do you find yourselves more in the shoes of King Ahab saying, I only want to hear what's good even? Or do you find yourselves in the shoes of King Jehoshaphat who's saying, I want the word of the Lord, whatever that is. If it pleases me, if it displeases me, if it's hard, if it's easy, it doesn't matter as long as it's God speaking to me. I can't afford to miss that. That's what true religion is, an encounter with the living God and being open to whatever it is he's telling us in his word. Whether it's hard to hear or pleasant to hear. As we move on in the passage, we get to this portion of the fact, well, here's what happens next. Micaiah, even though King Ahab hates him, he relents and he sends a messenger to go find him, to bring him to court. But in the meantime, all those prophets of the Lord that have said, go up in triumph, they double down on their prophecy. They continue to speak it. In fact, the text tells us that the kings sit on their thrones, they're arrayed before the great open threshing floor of the city and all the prophets are doing their song and dance. They continue to say, go up and triumph. And then there's a fellow, maybe the leader of this band of prophets. His name is Zedekiah. And he brought prophecy. Here's what it says, verse 11. And Zedekiah, the son of, I believe that's Shanana, but I could be wrong. And Zedekiah, the son of Shanana, made for himself horns of iron and says, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. Now that's memorable. Horns of iron? One of the commentators I read this week was like, man, it's always so fun when Zedekiah comes to church. <laughs> it's always so memorable. And what he's doing here is actually more than just being entertaining or engaging. He's pointing back to prophecies that God had given about how he was going to push out the Gentiles from those northern tribes. In fact, Deuteronomy 33, the Lord says, I will push out your enemies before you with the horns of an ox. So many people think that that's what Zedekiah is trying to kind of point back to. And he's saying, go up and triumph, but I've got some Bible verses to go with that. Guys, I'm pointing this out here because I want you to realize and see that these prophets of the Lord, it's not like they were out in left field just saying wild nonsense. They were very convincing because they looked the part. 
they used the right language. Thus says the Lord. That was the prophetic formula that you're supposed to use. They had Bible verses to go what with you they were saying. They might have cherry-picked those Bible verses. <laughs> they might have been taken out of context, but they're there. They're pointing to Deuteronomy 33. And then there's this. They were just so darn entertaining. I mean, look at this dramatic performance that Zedekiah puts on. It was engaging. They laughed. They cried. They felt all the emotions when he was speaking. And so all of it has the appearance of good, right teaching. Good, right prophecy. And yet they were wrong. I'm not going to say that they were purposely lying because I don't know that. It could be that they truly did believe what they were saying. But the issue with these so-called prophets of the Lord is that on their scale of priorities, there was one priority at the top that overshadowed everything else. All these little priorities underneath, like we're going to speak the word of the Lord, we're going to lead in God's faithfulness, all of it was subservient to their one chief priority, to make the king happy. Everything else fit under that. We tell him what he wants to hear. And so we take God's word and we shape it and we mold it and we bend it to fit his agenda and to fit what he wants. Now, I I stopped at this portion because I want you to realize that what we're seeing here is something very unique in verse 10. We've seen Elijah face off against the priest of Baal before. We've seen Obadiah face off against the people that would try to kill God's servant. We've seen this concept of one person fighting back against the many. But in those previous iterations, those were all people that were false priests and prophets. They worshipped another god. They were murderous, evil people. Here, Micaiah is facing off against prophets of the Lord. Church people. People who said the right thing, played the part, looked the right way, knew how to quote the Bible. And yet they were giving false prophecy. Does that strike you at all? Part of what we're being called to in the scripture is to be discerning and wise and open-eyed about what we're hearing when we hear somebody teach the Bible, preach the Bible, even when we're reading it ourselves. Because so often we can see a Zedekiah who's engaging and entertaining and he's got Bible to quote and he plays the part. He looks right and he's saying things that we want to hear. But it's not God's truth. And the ultimate question of how to discern that is to say, what is this teacher more interested in? Pleasing God by representing his word faithfully or pleasing the audience? Telling the people what they want to hear. I feel that tension so deeply as a pastor, a teacher, a minister. I feel like I've failed in it in the past of sometimes thinking of uh, couching things in a certain way because this person or that group would be offended if I said it directly. Or this would really play to the things that they care about, and that is not what a pastor is called to do. 
scripture is called to preach in a way that's representative of what God speaks today and not to placate the people listening. That brings us to the last little bit that we're going to look at today. I know you're probably, the text in your bulletin and up on the screen says 1 through 28. We're not going to get that far today. So I hope you're not freaking out. We're only going to get halfway through that. This is the last little bit we're going to look at, and it has to do when Micaiah is finally sent out. So verse 13, it says this. The messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. This little exchange, I feel like so much hinges on this. Because what the messenger says, and I think he's reflecting King Ahab's attitude. it, It shows that they have this false assumption about what a prophet can do. They think that it's up to a prophet to decide whether he's going to give a good word or a bad word. They think it's up to Micaiah to decide whether he's going to make it pleasant to the king or unpleasant to the king. And so the messenger says, hey, everybody else has given this good word. Make your word like theirs. Make your prophecy like theirs. And Micaiah says, as if I could, that's not my role. God speaks. I proclaim what he said. I don't edit it. I'm not God's editor. The role of the prophet is just to faithfully present what God has said and he's seen. And uh, one of the commentators I was reading this week, my favorite, Dale Ralph Davis. You guys, if you were around for our first Samuel study years ago, you remember he was my mm, favorite. He said this, he kind of couched it in this kind of concept of, of slavery and freedom, which I found was very helpful. And he said, what Ahab believes is that the king is free, that people are free. They're free to say what they want, do what they want, make decisions how they want to. And the word of God is bound to them to support what they're doing, to enhance what they're doing, to confirm what they're saying. And what the commentator said is that Micaiah makes it clear that, that the truth is the reverse. God's word is what's free. God's word is what is untethered and unbound and unchained. It's the servants of the Lord that are bound to it. That are connected to it to say, I follow where it leads. I pronounce and proclaim what it says. I state the truth. Not it supporting my truth. Now, Here's kind of how I want to close things up for today. Chances are, if you are still listening to what I'm saying, and you heard that last little bit, chances are you thought of somebody else that you really want to hear this message from. You thought of some other church that really needs to be challenged by this message. Or some other preacher that maybe you saw on TV or a podcast and like, man, that guy really needs to get with the program that Micaiah is talking about. And I, I, I set it up in paradise this morning. I was like, you know, you could, you're thinking maybe of a, a liberal church that's ignored parts of God's word that talk about marriage and sex and gender. Or maybe you're thinking of the conservative church that ignores parts of God's word about welcoming the stranger and the alien. 
and, and loving the, the, the fatherless and the poor and the widow. And you're like, yes, those churches need to see this. That you don't omit parts of God's word or, or massage it based on your political preferences. But you speak the truth as it's found in the Bible. But here's what I want to say to you. If you're thinking about somebody else, another church, another pastor, a friend, stop. Don't think about somebody else. Think about yourself. Think about yourself first. And ask the Lord, what are the ways that I've done this very thing, the messenger said? The ways in which I have, have bent or shaped or molded God's truth to confirm the choices that I've already made. Or the way that I've swept inconvenient doctrine under the rug because it would challenge thoughts and positions that I've already committed myself to. Every single one of us run the risk of making the same mistake that we find here. Of thinking that it's up to us to shape and mold the message of God. But it's not. And the scariest thing is that. We are hyper aware of that in other people or other churches or other settings. We are virtually blind to it in ourselves. So if there's one big takeaway that I want you to have from this portion of scripture. It's to hit your knees in prayer and say, Lord, open my eyes to see. But before I let my mind go down the paths of all the other people that need to hear this. Let me see the ways in which I have distorted the word of God and the ways in which I can maybe be renewed in my commitment to say along with Micaiah, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. That's what I want our church to be. That's what I want our church to be filled with is people that are committed to that first The next little bit of the text is when Micaiah finally arrives at the court. He's asked the same question all the other prophets did. Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he answered them, well, we're going to have to wait till next time. The cliffhanger ending. But seriously, you guys, you might have read ahead already. Maybe in the next couple of weeks you'll read ahead to see it. What you're going to find is that Micaiah's answer is a lot more complicated than you might be imagining. And it's going to take us some time to kind of unravel that a bit. But I think by the end of it, you will be in agreement with me that he is one of the coolest figures in all the Bible. I mean, there's a lot of people I want to see when I get to heaven, but Micaiah, the son of Imlah, is up there. Let's, uh, let's pray. And then we'll close together in one final prayer. Father, I pray that you would make us people that long for your truth, regardless of whether it's pleasant to our ears or unpleasant. Regardless if it's a difficult saying or a softy. Father, we want your word. And even if it's challenging to us, even if it shows us places that we need to repent of or places that we need to lean into you more, I pray that you would give it. Allow us to be people that don't shy away or run from it, 
that to lift us safely. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray.